Hi, everyone. I'm Shampa Chaudhary, and I'm a current second year at MBA candidate at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, and you're listening to the Wharton FinTech Club podcast. In the spirit of talking more about exciting FinTech trends and developments internationally, today we're bringing you to India and its fast-evolving FinTech space. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Pranav Barswal. Pranav is the co-founder of Save Abhi, a Delhi-based FinTech startup that has re-envisioned savings and wealth management especially for millennials. Sebabhi enables easy building of savings by rounding transactions to the nearest rupee and saving the change for investment. Previously, Pranav was in the payment space, heading a joint venture between ICICI Bank and First Data, a leading fintech payments player providing POS terminals to over 400,000 merchants across India. Welcome, Pranav. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank you, Shampa. It's a pleasure to be here. Perfect. So I know I already gave a little teaser into your background, but it would be really helpful for our audience about your journey, your background, and how you got here. Yeah, sure. You know, I, I, I was an engineer when I started off, uh, but my first job was actually in sales and trading uh, as an intern way back in 2002. Uh, but after that, you know, I completely switched fields and moved into sales and marketing, starting with Reebok in India and then on American Express for a very long time. Uh, uh, so it, it was an incredible journey making that transition from, you know, having studied finance in uh, college but doing mostly uh, sales and marketing for the rest of my career. It's been very interesting. Uh, I've spent a lot of time, uh, you know, working the, on the payment side. Payment is a very nascent industry in India. Uh, you know, less than 2% of all transactions happen through you know, electronic means, and that's not going to change, you know, in a hurry. Right. And there's a lot of players are trying a lot to do a lot of different things, you know, but that uh, that uh, transition from uh, cash to electronics is slow, uh, but but it's surely going to happen because the whole ecosystem wants to, you know, make that change and transition. Uh, right. While I was, while I was with payments, uh, you know, uh, you know, one of the things which has really, uh, you know, uh, caught my fancy is the fact that, you know, the youngsters in India, you know, they were doing a lot, uh, you know, they were earning a lot now, you know, they're trying a lot of different things, but their financial position was not as good as it was in the previous generation, right? Um, because in India traditionally has been, uh, you know, known for high saving rates, but, uh, you know, the, the youngsters in India, you know, in their generation, uh, they were finding it very, very difficult to keep up with their expenses, right? And uh, the general tendency was that people were, you know, beginning to get into uh, debt very early in their career. And, uh, you know, the traditional times for various uh, life uh, milestones, like buying the first house, you know, starting the family, while it is good that it is shifting, you know, uh, uh, later in life, but uh, one of the reasons why that is happening is because they simply don't have enough savings uh, to actually, you know, get into those uh, milestone events in their life. So right. based on all this, uh, you know, uh, perspective, I want to do something in, around, you know, savings and investments for the youngsters. And that's why this idea of save we came up. Um, and, uh, you know, when we started thinking about, you know, how exactly we want to take it forward, we realized that there are various barriers which are there, you know, as far as saving and investments are concerned. Uh, one of the biggest barriers being, you know, that people actually get overwhelmed, uh, you know, the youngsters especially get overwhelmed when they start thinking about savings, right? They don't know when to start, how to start, what exactly yeah. to do to start saving, right? 
so we try to do a lot of things uh, we try to build a lot of uh, you know features in our uh, in our application which basically try and automate the whole process to the uh, to the extent possible and uh, we saw we saw some really good results early on wherein you know people you know started seeing uh, you know the the net savings they were having in a particular month you know they were going up uh, the regular users started seeing you know a progressive increase in the savings that they're doing month on month uh, i think one of the one of the mistakes we made early on was that uh, we 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 thought that investing in you know mutual funds especially you know the equity type of or debt fund is actually a good idea for early savers we realized subsequently that markets go up and down and since people you know save uh, save uh, a small amount uh, you know in their early early careers sometimes the fluctuation in the net worth of the savings actually causes a lot of pain so 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 that was something that you know we we, we are trying to change now trying to get into more secure type of uh, saving instruments and investments right so that people people keep uh, uh, you know don't get discouraged early on in the process because the right. worst thing that can happen is that you know you see the saving rate go up but uh, your net worth actually doesn't go up proportionately because you know your uh, in the short term at least uh, you know because uh, because you've invested in you know highly volatile instruments yeah and uh, that's all you know that, yeah. that that's super interesting i mean the range of things that you've had experiences in from payments yeah. to wealth management is quite vast and we're super excited to dive into all that through this podcast before we get to save abhi and i do want to talk in detail about your experience there um i want to touch back to you know what you said about the payment space because i do know you've had a long experience in different players through payments uh one of the things you said was more forward looking around how you expect penetration to go up this is a space especially in india where you know non cash payments are not as high as they should be and what you were saying is even though adoption is of of technologies that brings uh payments to the non cash space have been slower you think it's inevitable but i also want to look a little bit in the past because i bet from when you started working in the payment space whether it was in amex or you know later in first data to what it is now there's already been considerable amount of change and a lot of new players so so can you speak a little bit to the evolution that you've seen yeah absolutely so uh, see you know if you look at the industry the way it existed in say you know early 2000 uh the uh, there are two pieces to payments right one is people who have uh, means to pay which is basically the card holder or the consumer and second is the merchant right so india right. was you know india was very very small in both these areas you know there were hardly 100000 merchants in india who accepted cards at that time right and right. uh, you know very few people actually had credit cards right uh, so 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 we saw you know rapid expansion between 2000 uh, early 2000 and you know 2009 where you know private banks in india you know expanded the market on both sides whether it was on the merchant side or on the consumer side right and uh, you know the the base went up from say the card accepting base we went up from say 100000 to uh to to a million you know over the over the next uh, uh, 7 to 8 years between 2002 and 2010 and what do you think, what do you think drove that are we are we talking you know increased financial literacy are we talking you know rise of more more palatable technologies or more play think drove that 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 uptick in penetration i think it, it was a combination of all these factors right one was that you know for the first time 
the private sector in india was you know was becoming strong in the in the consumer lending space right or in the banking space so the rise right. of private banks like icbc hdfc axis bank had a big role to play here right but also because yeah. the consumer spending overall was going very high in india right so so there was a need for you know uh, there was a lot of discretionary spend happening and there was a you know hunger for finance or credit right so so both these factors you know actually helped the industry grow very rapidly you know during that time period and then the whole e-commerce revolution happens you know immediately after that you know which gave the next level of growth to the whole industry right uh, uh, but after that there was a stagnation for a few years right but in 2017 uh, because of the demonetization event we suddenly right. saw a major jump you know overnight the volumes almost doubled right uh, and you know have uh, stayed at that level or going at a normal rate after that right so Got now it. we have So, so I, I want to I want to push on that a little bit because there has been some debate around whether demonetization was a one-time kind of action and then the trend has kind of settled at at its own rate. So, do you think that it was just a one-time correction and then there's been stagnation since, or do you think there's been meaningful, sustainable change to you know the rate of adoption of these uh, non-cash payment methods? Yeah. So, uh, what we need to understand is the bulk of spending, you know, will continue to happen. uh you know uh, from a very few individuals right so 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 that that possibly is not going to change right uh, but what happened during during the demonetization was that a lot of people who had debit cards right uh, which were earlier used only to withdraw cash from atms they suddenly started getting used uh, at the point of sale right? Um, right so so that was a big change which happened and which resulted in the volumes actually the post volume which is on the sale volume uh, usage of the card and debit card actually doubling right because all the new debit card holders started spending at post right so post that event um, obviously some of those people have gone back to spending on cash but they're still spending on post right some portion yeah. of the spending is still happening on post right Got so it. so that's a, that so it had a significant impact on the usage side and it also created a lot of demand from the merchants because for the first time they realized that they were vulnerable in a situation where you know the cash is not available or people don't don't uh, you know that or people want to be impulsive uh, buying you know the only way to use them the card so so they understood the value of uh, plastic payments for right. the first time and that demand has sustained because if you ask any of the post payers in the market they will tell you the the merchant acquisition rates per month have have stayed up uh, after the demonetization event and you know right. now people are talking about new technology like qr code which will take it even further and solve some of the fundamental issues you know with the traditional methods you know of high ownership cost of ownership for the merchants and probably you know take them Absolutely. the speed further yeah right 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 so that makes sense so at least on the merchant side it seems like mm-hmm. um a widespread effort like demonetization uh mm-hmm. basically changed a mindset where you know cash could not be your only option for payment where yeah. they had to open yeah. the door to at least some other form of payment which kind of opens the doors to these fintech players as well. Great. So one of the things you've mentioned a lot and we've talked a lot about our POS terminal um in, in this payment space. I want to understand based on your perspective um you know how has the pay, because there is a cost of ownership of these POS terminals. And so where do you see that evolving because as you mentioned there are other technologies that are coming to bat. um there are also you know other players whether they are other fintech players or telecom players if you're thinking of the reliance geos of the world etc 
So I'd like to kind of move towards thinking about when you're looking in the future and you're thinking about payments in the future, one thing you've said is probably we're not going to go fully um, away from cash. But even the portions that we are going to go away from cash, how do you see that happening? Do you see POS terminals making it to the future? Do you see other technologies coming in and other players doing better? Where do you see this going? Yeah, so, you know, there are a couple of ways of looking at this, right? Uh, so one is obviously, you know, what uh, payment form factor will the consumer be more comfortable with, right? And I think that is a pretty uh, simple uh, thing to answer, that mobile is going to be the you know, way forward. People want to be able to pay from their mobiles, right? Now, with mobiles, there are there are two, two ways of doing it. Either, you know, you tap the mobile to a particular device or you you know, transfer the information from mobile to the device in some manner, or you simply scan a QR code. And that's the direction that China, Chinese consumers have taken. They're more comfortable, you know, scanning a QR code. In India, we still don't know, right, which way the consumers are going to go, which way the market is going to push the consumers and get, used, get them used to, you know, a particular form factor uh, first. Uh, that, I think the market still doesn't know. I mean, people are trying all sorts of, sort of things. On the merchant side, what I can tell you is, uh, which I clearly see happening is that just like on the consumer side, you know, as all activities started converging on a mobile phone, right, whether it was watching, you know, uh, whether it was entertainment, whether it was games, whether it was, you know, uh, you know, doing anything else, right, everything is happening to mobile now. I right. see the same thing happening on the business side, right? You enter a shop in India, and I'm talking about a, you know, a mid-sized type of a shop, you know, you'll see a computer somewhere, you'll see a machine, POS machine somewhere, you know, you'll see a scanner somewhere else. You know, so a lot of devices are there in, inside the shop. I see all of them converging into one single device, right? So that is right. a trend which is definitely going to happen. It's going to be a mobile-based device, uh, a powerful device, which will be able to do a lot of other things in simple payments. And uh, it, it ultimately will result in lower investments for the merchants, right? So instead of setting up a whole electronic setup where you have a laptop, or a computer desk, a billing system, you know, a separate EDC machine, scanners, you know, he'll be able to consolidate and get all those functionalities within one device. Uh, so right. that is definitely going to happen, right? But the question really is that uh, whether that device will read a QR code, will be used to read a QR code, or whether it will be used to scan a QR code, whether it will, uh, you know, from a payment perspective, whether it will go through NFC or some other technology, I think that question is still out. Right. No, I think I think that that's totally fair and makes sense in terms of the opportunities that that exist going forward. Switching gears a little bit and chatting about the challenges also that exist, because as it's been proven, you know, payments isn't an easy business to scale, especially in India with the rise. I'd imagine with the rise of all the different players, it's quite a competitive space um, where sustaining margins has always been kind of a question and a, a challenge that players have had to face. Can you give us some perspectives on what are the challenges of running a successful payments business, how that differs for the big guys versus, you know, smaller fintechs trying to make their mark, and how do you think they're going to change? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge in payments is actually, you know, to figure out a way of making money out of it, right? right. So, you know, that firstly, there's too many players, right, uh, on both sides. Uh, payments is increasingly becoming a transaction business which supports some other, you know, value-adding activity, right? So whether right. it's e-commerce, whether it is, you know, uh, uh, content, whether it's, you know, anything else that you can possibly think of, right? So more and more people are actually 
trying to push payment as a utility along with some other service that is being provided to the consumer, right? So mm-hmm. for a pure play, pure play payments player, it is increasingly becoming difficult to create a business model, right? Uh, uh, you know, where the unit economics are attractive enough for a sustainable business, right? Mm-hmm. And and some of the things that people will definitely try is one is obviously, you know, how do you, how do we uh, build a credit layer on top of that, right? Right. Uh, or or how do we build a you know uh, you know a risk management layer on top of that? Uh, how do we use the you know the the, the, the transaction uh, behavior uh, or the data that is created to deliver more services to the consumer or to the merchant? So those are the those are the things uh, you know which will determine uh, whether a payments layer is you know successful uh, in uh, creating a sustainable business. But from a pure payments play, you know it is it will increasingly become a scale business. Uh, you know whether 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 margin will be highly challenged, right? Right. And uh, so so it is a difficult business, uh, no doubts about that. Even more difficult in India because you know there have been factors where you know play players have been using these uh, uh, you know using other sources of revenue to subsidize this business. So standalone players have always had a difficult time, uh, you know, creating a profitable business model. Right. No, I think I I, I think that makes absolute sense and it's interesting you mentioned all um, the other kind of adjacent areas that we see people going into um, excited to talk a bit more about wealth management with you in a bit uh, you did mention an interesting uh, interesting one there with the lending arm where you do see the rise of many players trying to leverage data whether uh, to to feed in you know loans against these credit card transactions um, also offering, you know, financing to the merchants who are using these uh, payments technology, um, you know, uh, payments technologies, etc. What are your thoughts on that space? Do you think it's a lucrative one? What are the, uh, what excites you, and what kind of concerns you about that space? Yeah, see, lending uh, obviously in India, the general feeling uh, uh, is that uh, there's a large segment which is not well served by the bank. And therefore, right. you know, there's a lot of opportunity out there. Uh, uh, but you know, we are currently going through NBFC crisis, as you would probably be aware, right? Uh, you know, NBFCs have an inherent disadvantage that the cost of borrowing is very high, right? So, so, but but they have an advantage that you know, uh, because because of various arbitrages which exist in the market, they are able to reach you know <coughs> consumers faster, wider. And uh, therefore, you know, uh, you know, probably they can grow at a much faster clip. Right. So all those things, all those things are now changing. Now you increasingly see banks, you know, taking advantage of their stronger balance sheet and the fact that you know that they come out of the NPA cycle to try and go after the business that NBFCs have <coughs> captured over the last few years. Right. right. So, so it will become difficult for fintechs, and they will need to, they will, and NBFCs, and they will need to increasingly, you know, innovate and find ways. Of competing with large banks, I think the next two three years are going to be very interesting because you know uh, probably some of the larger banks in India are as tech savvy, as quick, and as well run, and you know uh, as uh, innovative as as any fintech in the country, right? From the world for that matter. <coughs> so I think it, it's it's going to be a challenge for fintech going forward. So uh, and the challenge is going to be to find innovative ways of serving their customers at a lower lower cost. And uh, keeping their borrowing costs low, right? Uh, right. In view of the fact that you know they don't have access to cheap uh, deposits. Right. I, I think that summarizes the issue really well. And for those of our listeners that aren't aware of what an NBFC is, 
in India, an NBFC is a non-banking financial corporation um, that typically has lending operations. And it's because it's not a bank, it has a little bit more flexibility in how it does lending and typically can, um, you know, cater to more aggressive cases. And that's why they often go after uh, parts of the parts of the market that are underserved. Recently, there have been some cases of which, you know, Pranav was just referring to, uh, a lot of cases of NBFCs going under or, or having bad financial performance due to having a high percentage of, you know, non-performing assets because the way they've done their underwriting or the way they've evaluated who to give their um, funds to hasn't really panned out as well as they expected. And they so it warrants a lot more discipline and, you know, it's going to be uh, under the watchful eye of, of regulation as well um, as you know, for NBACs to be able to grow in the future. So just wanted to give a little background on that issue since we touched on it. Great. Um, and it, it, so if that sounds good, I think I'd love to shift gears and talk about what we're super excited about, which is Save Abhi. Um, and you already talked a little bit about the purpose, the mission, and why you switched gears um, uh, to, 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 to going to Save Abhi. I, I want to hear a little bit about your personal impetus where I understand, you know, this is a problem you were excited to solve, but obviously you went from being a, you know, senior executive at existing players in the market to this role of a co-founder. So what was the impetus for that change and how was that transition for you? Oh, actually, I was thinking about it for a very long time. So, you know, so I was prepared for what was to follow. And the fact that I started with my brother made it easier, right? Uh, because, you know, you always have someone to encourage you, you know. Right, you, right. You know, when you go through the lows and, you know, uh, somebody, you know, actually keep the spirits up. And you also need, you know, probably in the team, you need someone who's a, you know, eternal uh, optimist uh, because that becomes important because, you know, all these new businesses go through their own cycles, right? And they are very frequent <laughs> ups and downs, right? One day you're feeling very high, other day you're probably feeling very low, right? Right. It helps to have a have a good co-founder. Uh, uh, that's I think that I think is, a, is the first uh, requirement. Uh, the, secondly, I think it is very important uh, that uh, you know you 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 feel for the consumer, right? Uh, the the users of your service, they should you should feel uh, connect with them. You should be able to uh, you know you, you should be able to have empathy with them. You know on how your service is benefiting them, and you know. Right. The, the difference it is making to their lives because that itself becomes a very good motivation, right? Of, of course, there are the challenges like you know, uh, you know, which come, you know, that there are advantages of a steady income, you know, getting a regular paycheck, which possibly goes away. Uh, but you know, you know, uh, by a certain age, you try and build up a certain corpus which can take care of you know uh, certain issues. Uh, in my case, I started late, right? Uh, I, I, I was almost forty when I you know started this, so. So, so those are some of the things that you, you know, uh, of the things that you think about when you're starting a new venture. No, that's that's very helpful perspective, especially for those that are, you know, mm -hmm. thinking of venturing out. Both the the advice on picking the right co-founder to, you know, tread through troubled waters with, and also the perspective on finding the right time in your life for, you know, when it's when when it's right to to plunge in. So speaking of wealth management, because of course Save Abhi does have that tone of payments in terms of you know dealing with transactions, but it's really tackling this wealth management space. I'd love to hear a little bit about now the wealth management space, your experience there. So you know who have been? It's been a space that's been 
had a lot of big incumbent players and still you know that those are the ones that are very prominent in india today it's also a regulated space so can you talk a little bit about how wealth management has evolved in the past and what do you see being the big opportunities and challenges there if we're thinking of the next 5 years yeah so i think you know one of the one of the problem areas with wealth management again has been that it has you know only the 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 rich or you know the prosperous people in india have had access to you know wealth management services by experts right, uh, right. and uh, and you know there there is a demand for it uh, uh, people you know lower down the economic strata want advice uh, they want uh, they want to know you know how to invest but uh, you know it is very difficult uh, for big companies to actually serve them because you know the way the wealth management industry is structured in india is that it is it requires a lot of human intervention right and right. Uh, the ticket size of uh, you know of some customers simply doesn't make it viable for you know like this we have to serve them right so uh, so that is something that we are trying to change but it requires a lot of innovation in terms of Uh, you know, figuring out ways of aut- automating some of the activities, which uh, you know, which big players uh, do through you know human touch, uh, and this this is this is very very uh, common in West where robot advisors are coming and things like that. But our main thrust is actually not that. Our main thrust is actually one step before that, uh, before investing, which is you know, in saving itself, because we realize that the bigger challenge, at least in our country, is that people find it difficult to save. You know, once. once you have the surplus you can start thinking about you know where to invest it the challenge is that people don't have a surplus so we are actually thinking about it in three steps and trying to you know provide uh, our customers uh, you know assistance in meeting all the three steps one is helping them create uh, you know a surplus every month right uh, you know by ensuring that the discretionary spend goes down to the level you know uh, below their income right regular cash flow uh right. secondly making making sure that uh, you know they could start budgeting and uh, stick to that budget and finally finding ways of get, getting them the maximum possible return on that surplus that they're creating so it's a three fold process and you know most of the consumers you know who successfully move through the three processes are actually you know very satisfied and uh, that gives us the biggest joy and those basically are you know are you know the successful customers as far as we are concerned so it, it's a lot like you know being on a fitness program or on a diet program right where you have to change your lifestyle a lot right, right. have to and we provide the technology to aid our customer do that <clears throat> got it so it's almost leveraging their lifestyle right now and with very little behavior change being able to get them to reap a slightly different benefit that's right so on you know since these are just basically rounding the change can you give us a sense of for a typical customer what that would look like in terms of how much they save in like one year or so what what has been your experience yeah for people who started with us way back right they've been able to you know save uh, to increase so it all all depends on how much they were saving when they started and you know how they are uh, because we also give people the opportunity to do lump sum you know savings right 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 uh, so so for, for a person who only takes uh, 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 roundups for example right uh, they can easily save anywhere between 7 to 10000 rupees out year right which is a very small wow. amount right but it what this amount is incremental to whatever he was saving earlier 
right 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 which is which is so, not insignificant right that's right right and no one right. over the thing yeah and most of the people you know when once they start saving through this process also start talking it out right uh, so right. so so you know during the course of the year there are there are times when people will have excess liquidity because of various events right it could be a bonus it could be something else you know some something you know some maturity or some financial you know instrument do anything but once they are following this uh, lifestyle and they're following this process you know that surplus immediately moves into savings and investments right uh, so ultimately you know uh, if they compare it to the year before they started using it there is a difference not just right. to the top ones but to other means also <clears throat> right and so then on the investing side you talked a little bit about how you were leveraging mutual funds that that was you know volatile um how do you think about since these are typically customers who are new to investing how do you think about you know educating them on the risk that they're getting under and then you know how do you end up choosing which financial instruments are the right ones to kind of help them um inculcate this this ongoing saving behavior yeah so i think uh you know a lot of people come in thinking that they should be investing in equity right because they're influenced by whatever going on um, right in the world right so <laughs> it takes a lot of uh, effort to actually you know tell them that this is not the right you know asset class for you to begin with right so right. and it it, it it is a very uh, you know intensive process of actually convincing people and you know uh, at the type of economics we're talking about right it is, it is difficult to manage that whole process so that is one one part uh, of our journey where we still need to do a lot more to to be able to serve the customer at the right economics right? and that is going to be something that we we'll focus on in the years to come right now you know it is it requires a lot of human intervention right no absolutely i think i think that absolutely makes sense the the human intervention level of it i was going to you know talking about the economics that my next question was going to be how do you vision the you know revenue model for something like this because traditionally in the wealth management space it's typically been a fees based revenue model which obviously makes it challenging when the base is a lot smaller and it's yeah. not kind of wealthy people parking their cash so how do you envision the the revenue model for something like this yeah no i think uh, that's a very valid question and that you know that is a question which is thrown at us very often right uh and i would tell you that we haven't addressed actually as yet right but uh, but really you know it is the only way out when you're trying to serve a base which is which is you know which, which has lower throughput uh, in terms of you know the money uh, the only way to do it is to sell them you know more services right or to give them to steer them towards services which are more useful to them you know while they create value for you as well Right, that right. is a journey that is ongoing, and we are, you know, embarking on this journey and improving as we as we progress. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. It's obviously an ongoing uh, discussion, mm -hmm. especially for a for a startup. But interesting to hear the way you guys are thinking about it. Mm -hmm. How do you view regulation? It's been evolving, especially in wealth management. Um, has regulation been something that you've thought about, and has it been a challenge or an opportunity? How do you think about that? uh see regulation is obviously you know there and it is there for a reason because it supposed to help the, the consumers uh so it hasn't really bothered us till now right uh, it, it it has a positive impact on the business uh in our view um, uh, 
So, so you know, we work with the regulation. Uh, those, you know, serve the interest of the consumer, and uh, whether it is in terms of lower distribution fees, whether it's in terms of you know disclosures which need to be made. made. I think uh, you know they, they are positive for the industry, and uh, we try and you know work with them. Uh, and uh, actually, that hasn't hindered us in a major way till now. Great. Shifting gears a little bit more internally, you know, as the head, as a co-founder of a business, um, how do you think about, you know, on the people's perspective, recruiting talent? What are you looking for in this fintech space? Obviously, people aren't graduating with fintech majors, you know. So how are you looking for uh, recruiting people? What do you look for? What have been some of the challenges in this space? We are still very early in the process, right? So, uh, so attracting talent is obviously very difficult, right? Uh, um, because you know you have, they have to align with your vision, they have to believe in your vision, they have to believe uh, you know that there's something interesting going on out here, uh, and that is the job of the founders, right? To to be passionate about what they're doing and to be able to communicate that passion, right, as well as the vision. So so in play, in, in situations where we are able to do that, there are values also aligned with the. You know, with the with the person we are trying to recruit, you know, it works very well. But it, it is not it is not easy, right? Uh, people uh, people want to go through the excitement of a startup, but uh, they are reluctant to leave the safety of a more established company, right? Um, so, right. So so it's a very fine line, right? So it is difficult, but there are people. There are a lot of people, you know, who who are interested in you know taking a ride, uh, an exciting journey. And uh, if the values are aligned with you, you know they will naturally support. That makes sense. What about funding? So when you are, you know, starting out a, a new company and thinking about whether to raise funds, whether to, you know, uh, grow this internally, uh, I, I'd be interested to just pick your brain. You've done this for your own startup. You've also experienced, you know, how this works at bigger companies. Um, what would be your advice to a you know new fintech startup looking to raise funds? How should they think about it? I think uh, you know the way people should think about capital is that they should raise uh, enough capital to to ensure that you know they're able to uh, build the right product, build the right teams uh, at the appropriate time. Right? Uh, there's a tendency for people to raise too much capital. Right? Uh, uh, which probably they don't need, right? It's very important right. to be able to utilize the capital in 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 the way which is right, right? So, for example, we've not felt the need to raise capital till now, right? We believe that uh, we uh, we still uh, are a few months or probably a few years away from uh, uh, from raising capital because we don't need it right now. We have internal uh, you know capacity to invest, keep investing. Uh, <clears throat> And uh, we would like to keep it that way for some time, uh, at least till a time where we believe that the model is uh, solid enough, uh, profitable enough for us to, you know, really go for a major scale up uh, in terms right. of customer acquisition. Um, um, but uh, I, I don't think it's still there, and I don't think it's the right time to do that. Uh, it's bring in capital, bring capital. Yeah, but I, but I but that's... but I think generally for most of the people, uh, you know, if they don't have uh, capital to invest. It makes a lot of sense to raise capital as soon as possible, as soon as possible, because uh, you know lack of capital can kill you pretty pretty quickly, right? Right. 
And can you paint a little bit of a brief picture in terms of, you know, who are the players if you are looking to raise capital in this fintech space in India? Are you look are you speaking mostly to certain VCs? Are you speaking to incumbent players? Are you speaking to foreign investors? Can you paint us a little bit of a picture there? It's always best to speak to VCs who, you know, who who have uh, invested in similar industries, you know, in other markets, right? right? right. Uh, because that helps a lot. You know, whatever people might say about, you know, regional flavor, the fact is that you know the major trends. Know, work across geographies, right? So that experience really helps a lot. Uh, other than that, you know, if you can create investments from an existing, you know, player in that industry, right? Um, uh, whether it's local or international, that definitely helps a lot, right? Right. Uh, and uh, uh, finally, you know, <clears throat> finally, uh, you know, there are players who are very strong in the local market. They have large funds. They can actually take the business to a completely different mm-hmm. level, right? Uh, those would be the third choices, but those. Typically, are people you know who would come to you rather you go to them. Right, right. That makes sense. This is all super helpful. Um, to close this out, I want to end on the note of looking forward and talking about the future. And we talked a little bit about this in the payment-specific world, but given your you know the breadth of ex- expertise that you've had, give us a you know broad-level view of how you see the next five years evolving for this fintech space in India. What are things you're most excited to see? What do you think are things that are going to explore? What do you think are going to be things or players that are going to face some challenges? Yeah. See, I think the fintech space in India is, uh, you know, trying for major growth. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think uh, I think who who actually takes advantage of the growth, whether it is startups, whether it is established companies, whether it is, you know, <clears throat> Uh, whether it is you know players who are already strong in the different industry, right? Uh, that is a major question because you know I think those players are also very important, right? We don't we shouldn't forget that people like Google, Amazon, you know, Pay Amazon is the payments player, but other other players, Google, the Facebook, right? They are not in the payments industry right now or in fintech in the major way in India, but they they dominate uh, you know some consumer segment rather than in India, right? In a major way have very, very large uh, usage, uh, and uh, they, they, they they will have a very interesting play in India in FinTech. Um, other than that, you know, there will be startups uh, which will take advantage of the fact that you know, they, they focus on a particular vertical, right? And they will, they will some of them at least will become very large. Um, uh, and we should not rule out large industrial groups in India, right? They have their own unique strength. Uh, you can see them, you know, entering FinTech in a major way. Uh, and probably making a uh, you know dent uh, there. So I see a lot of growth. Uh, some some of it happening on its own. Some of it because you know very large players are uh, beginning to invest a lot in creating demand. So so I see the future as being very bright. Great. Uh, we'll just you know have to wait and watch how this whole thing pans out. Excited to see you know which players emerge and which ones find some more challenges going forward. Good. Great. So, you know, thank you so much, Pranak, for taking so much time to speak to us, both about your personal journey to all these different experiences, as well as broadly about the Indian landscape. Uh, You talked to us in detail about, you know, all these different spaces from payments to wealth management to a little bit of, you know, uh, lending, etc. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. Thank you.